how good it is to sing songs of praise to the Lord, to minister to our hearts, to one another as we hear one another sing and, um, and worship the Lord together and be reminded of the great gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church family, I invite you to open up in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 1 through 16 today of chapter 14. The title of our message is Marked by Courageous Love. Marked by Courageous Love. One of the most important things that we do when we gather together is just read God's Word. This is a living and active Word of God, and so I pray that even the reading of God's Word be an act of worship and would minister to our hearts and souls. And so you follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read uh, Genesis 14, verses 1 through 16. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Ketolaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these, uh, all these joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Ketolaomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Ketolaomer and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim in Ashtaroth Karnaim, and the Zuzim in, in Ham, the Emim in Shava Kiriathaim, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir as far as El Paran on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpet, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hezazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Sidim, with Ketolaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot the son of Abram's brother who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. And when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Haba, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. Church family, the Bible is full of incredible stories and interesting peoples with sometimes very hard to pronounce names. <laughs> And uh, so I did my very best for us today. Now, we're told that one of the reasons that God has given us these incredible stories from history about these people is that they would serve as examples to us. And Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said that, that very thing. They were 
given to us as examples. Now, some of the examples from God's word are good examples for us to follow. Some of them are bad examples that we don't want to follow. So anytime we read God's word, we do need to make sure, is this a good example or is this a bad example? But there is a danger that when we study the people and the events from uh, uh, the events of their lives from Scripture, the danger is that we would merely see them as examples to either follow or not to follow. You see, these people and the stories of their lives, however familiar or unfamiliar they may be to us, they, they, they do something more than just provide us with examples. God has given them to us for something even more than just examples to either follow or not to follow. You see, God's word is ultimately about Jesus. And so all of God's word should point us to Jesus. And I'll go ahead and, and, and expound on that danger just a little bit more. Because if we, if we merely see these as examples to follow or not to follow, then what we're saying is that God has given us his word just to make us better people. The problem is we don't just need to be made better people. We need to be redeemed from our sin. And so we do need these examples that help us learn how we should and shouldn't live our lives. But we need something even more. And, and by God's grace, he's given us his word that, that meets both of those needs. Examples to know how to live and how not to live. But even more so, his word that points us to Jesus, our rescuer. See, the scriptures point us to Jesus as the answer to our greatest problem. Jesus, the provider of our greatest need. Jesus, the savior who can rescue us from our slavery to sin. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said that Scripture is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And when he wrote those, he was primarily referring to the Old Testament Scriptures because the New Testament Scriptures were still in the process of being written. He says Scripture was given to us, is written, this passage was written to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we study God's word, we do want to look for examples that show us how to live and how not to live. But we also want to look for Jesus. Jesus himself told us that the scriptures were all about him. Do you remember when he was walking on that road to Emmaus after he had risen from the dead? He was walking with two of his followers. They didn't recognize him. And, and they were talking about the scriptures and they didn't understand the events that had happened. And the text there tells us that he showed them how the scriptures were all about everything that had just taken place. The death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we want to look for Jesus as we see examples to follow and not to follow. We want to see the big picture of what God is doing in this time that we're reading about today and in this place with these people, which is one of many threads in this grand tapestry of salvation that God has been weaving ever since the foundation of the world, ever since he made that promise to send a deliverer, a man born of woman who would destroy the serpent. We want to look for this Savior. So as we look at our text today, we're going to learn from examples, but we also want our hearts to be directed to Jesus. Church, as we look at Genesis chapter 14, verses 1 through 16, we learn that as we seek to imitate the great faith of Abram, we must confess our great need for Jesus. As we seek to imitate the great faith of Jesus, and, and I want God's word to challenge us to do that today, but as we do that, we need to also confess our great need for Jesus Christ. Now remember, Genesis is a book of beginning, uh, as the title implies. We've seen the, the beginning of the world, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then as we moved along and we got into chapter 12, we've seen the beginnings of God's 
fulfillment of the promises that he made even all the way back in the Garden of Eden. That promise to send a deliverer. And we see the focus gets narrowed down from the whole world to the one man, Abram, through whom the promised deliverer deliver will come for the whole world. Now, just to remind us, we're not going to talk about this detail as much today, but I don't want us to forget it because we're going to come back to it in, uh, in later chapters um, real soon. But remember, Abram is married to Sarai. Remember, Sarai is barren. And Abram has a nephew, Lot. Now, obviously, we're going to talk about Lot today. Remember, Lot did live with Abram, but then he separated back in chapter 13. We looked at that separation uh, last week. He separated from Abram. Lot chose to go to a land that looked good on the outside, but was full of sinful people. We'll see, begin to start seeing how that turns out for him, even in chapter 14 today. Abram, on the other hand, is still clinging to the promises of God, which includes a promise of a forever land and, descend, and descendants that, that match the, the, the number of the, the dust in the earth. All right, so he's been promised this land forever and these descendants that you can't even count. And that's where Abram is, that's where Lot is, and that's where we left off last week. Now, as we look into chapter 14, I want to share with you today one mark of faith from the life of Abraham that I think we need to see as an example for us to follow. And at the same time, I want us to see, uh, share one point with you about how this passage points us to Jesus, that, that confession of that greater need um, that I said just a moment ago, that need for Christ. I want to start with just observing what's here. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with chapter 14. This is probably not one of the one of the Bible stories that we learn very often in Sunday school as children. OK, uh, we focus the more on some of the other ones, it's probably not one that we're as familiar with. But it is a fascinating story. Just scan your eyes through the verses as we kind of walk back through in verses one through three. We learn there are two alliances of kings. All right. If you love a good story, if you love a good battle story, this is it. All right. There's two alliances of kings um, and uh, one alliance has four kings. The other alliance has five kings. And um, I'm pretty much just going to refer to the four king alliance and the five king alliance and not, not try to say all of their names. Uh, I might mention one or two of them. Um, like Ketelamer. Okay. Ketelamer gets repeated several times. It seems that he was the lead king of the four king alliance because his name gets repeated several times um, in this. I guess the Lord thought we needed to know how to say Ketelamer. Um, and so it gets repeated a lot of times here. Um, so he's the, he's the king, uh, the, the head of this four king alliance. The other alliance, which has five kings, includes one king. I do want to mention him. Bera, the king of Sodom. Now, these kings and these cities may be pretty unfamiliar to us, and that's okay because most of, most of these aren't really mentioned many other places, if, if ever, else in God's word. But our ears should perk up when we hear Bera, the king of Sodom. Because this isn't the first time we've heard about Sodom, or about Gomorrah for that matter. Why is that? Because Sodom is that city to which Lot, when we left off last week, was inching ever closer and ever closer. It was that city which was described as full of great sinners. Do you remember that? And that's where Lot is getting closer and closer and closer to. Then in chapter, uh, excuse me, in verse 4, we learn that this four-king alliance has forced the five-king alliance into servanthood. The four-king alliance has basically made slaves out of the five-king alliance and their people. And this forced submission has lasted 12 years. And then in the 13th year, the five-king alliance, they get tired of it, and they decide to revolt. They decide to rebel against the four-king alliance. Now, that may seem like, hey, well, five against four. All right, the one with the greater number wins. 
Well, we get a little more information about this four-king alliance in verses 5 through 7. In verses 5 through 7, we learn that the four-king alliance is very strong and mighty. Not only were they able to rule over the five-king alliance for 12 years, they're also traveling all around and defeating other nations as well. You see that in verses 5 through 7. They're traveling, they're traveling the, around the, the, their area of the world at that time, and they're just wiping people out. They're just taking over all these people. And the people that they're taking over, not, they're not just pushovers. In fact, we learn later in Scripture that some of these people are pretty strong and mighty. For instance, the Amalekites. And they're known as giants. They're giants in this land. They're, when the nation of Israel comes in, they're scared of the Amalekites. And yet this forking alliance is coming around just wiping everybody out. All right. They are a force to be reckoned with. Then in verses 8 through 12, we pick back up with this five king alliance and they're going to battle against the the four king alliance. There's this battle that takes place. And just in summary, the result is that the four king alliance defeats the five king alliance. The lesser defeats the greater, which helps us know just how strong and mighty they are. It's a force to be reckoned with. And then the text get through all of that and it gets us back to Lot and his uncle Abram. Verse 10 tells us that the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. So they're on the losing side. And that's where Lot lives. Verse 11 tells us that the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. It's a total beatdown. It's a total takeover. It's a total defeat. And then verse 12 gives us this key piece of information. Lot, he gets captured. All right, Lot gets captured. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom and his possessions and went their way. Listen, not only do we learn that Lot has been inching closer and closer and closer where we left off last week. Now we learn that he has made his way right there into the middle of this city of great sinners called Sodom. And he is dwelling there among them and he gets captured along with all of his stuff. And just to reflect back on last week, because we don't just want to see these as individual chapters. We want to see this as one whole story that God is giving to us. I think we see a connection, right? Remember, Lot made a choice based off of what he could see with his eyes, not what God had said to Abram, what God had promised. And we see where that led him. His lack of walking by faith. Now he's in the middle of this wicked city and, and he's starting to reap the consequences. But now we see where Abram gets pulled into this war of nations. Abram's off minding his own business. He's not out trying to make war with people. He's not living in in Sodom, in uh, in this place of great sinners. He gets pulled into this war of nations, but it's actually his faith that results in courageous love that pulls him in to this battle. Listen, they didn't come and attack Abram. What we see here is that Abram goes out because of his great love for Lot, that is resulting from his great faith in the Lord. And what we have is an incredible example, an incredible picture that points us to Jesus. Look at verses 13 through 16. Someone escapes from the battle, right? Someone escapes, goes and tells Abram that Lot, his nephew, has been taken captive. And, and we learn that Abram's made some allies in this time. There's these three brothers. You see their names there, Mamre, Eskel, and Anner. And, and they're, they're friends of Abram. I don't know how close, but they at least have formed some kind of alliance. Abram also has many servants in his household, which is a sign that God is continuing to bless him. Remember, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to 
make you into a great nation. Those promises from chapter 12. So his, his household is growing. Now, none of these are his, his biological descendants because all we know at this point about his biological descendants is there are none because his wife is barren. But he, is, he is, does have a, a house. And, and, and so much so that servants are being born into the house and they're being trained up to fight. So Abram gets the news. He gathers 318 of his, of his men. Now, that should, that should make us kind of scratch our heads for just a second and go, uh-oh, not sure Abram knows who he's got about to go up against. Remember all that information that seems like maybe is not that important about all the kings and the battles and all that? Remember the four-king alliance? I think one of the reasons is to show us this is not just a group of guys that are going around picking on people. This is, this is, this is a, a legit alliance of, of armies, and they are strong, and they are mighty, and they have been so for quite some time. And Abram gets 318 of his trained men and goes after them. Perhaps we see even in that an example of faith in the Lord. This is, this is friends, this is, not, this is an exciting storyline. It's fun. If you take the time to read through it and imagine this going on in your mind, Right. I mean, you get word nephew has been taken captive. You're mustering all your troops like, all right, you know what you've been training for. Let's go. They've got my nephew. We're going to get him back. They march out. They plan this attack by night. He's not a dumb uh, 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 attacker. Right. He's like, all right, we got 318 guys. We got to do something. We're going to surprise them. We come at them at night. We split our forces so that we we come at them from two different sides, at least two different sides. This is all in your text. I'm not making this up. OK, I'm just saying what's here. And um, and and and. He, he goes after him and he and he beats them and he chases them down and he gets lot. He gets all their stuff. He gets the women and the children. Everybody else is there. He gets all their stuff and he, and he rescues. It's exactly what we see Abram do. It's an example of courageous love, a courageous love, which marks a life of faithfulness of, uh, to God. Uh, this courageous love that I hope and pray the Lord impresses on our hearts today to imitate in our own lives. Brothers and sisters, the first truth I just want to share with you is this. A life of faithfulness to God will be marked by courageous love. A life of faithfulness to God. That's where we left off last week. Abram's walking by faith. He's not a perfect man. We saw in chapter 12 what happened in Egypt. He's not perfect. But in chapter 13, he is choosing to walk by faith. And what that results in is him acting in courageous love. Abram's minding his own business when he hears that his nephew Lot has been captured. And let's remember the context They've recently had a disagreement. It may have, been, it may have been a few years, but they've had a disagreement. Lot chose to leave Abraham. Lot separated himself from Abram. When Abram asked Lot which land he wanted to settle in, Lot said, mm, let me find the best land. That looks like the best land. I'll take that. Never seems to look back. Okay? That's what has just happened. Lot chose the fertile land. It would have been easy, I think, for Abram to sell say when that when that uh, that escapee ran up and said abram your 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 nephew lot has been captured <laughs> it would have been so easy i think for abram to say yeah well he made a foolish choice and now he's got to suffer the consequences i'm not risking my life to save his hide he dug his own grave now he'll have to lay in it he left me and god's promised blessings this is his fault so he'll just have to deal with the consequences now Maybe you're way kinder than I am, but I can only speak for myself. And I know it would have been very tempting for me to respond that way. But Abram doesn't do that. He immediately takes his resources that God has given him as he has made right choices 
and he takes those resources and he heads off to rescue Lot. He heads into danger to rescue his kinsmen. He doesn't stop to consider whether or not Lot deserves the rescue. He just goes and does it. He chooses to show courageous love. Church, a a life of faith in God will be marked by courageous love. And he sets a great example for us to follow. And the rest of God's word, as we continue reading, confirms that God desires for us to live lives of courageous love. God's laws to the people of Israel. Consider those for a moment. What did he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, we go to great lengths to love ourselves. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a bad thing. But, but if, if I'm starving, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get food in my body. I'm, I'm going to show love to myself by making sure my life is preserved. I will go to great lengths to love myself. And Jesus, uh, excuse me, Jesus said it, but God told the nation of Israel, and later Jesus quoted it, and said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Consider Jesus' words to his disciples. He said this in in the Gospel of John, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And friends, how did Jesus show love to us? Because that's the kind of love he is calling us to imitate. How did he show love to us? Well, he courageously gave up his life to rescue us. That's the kind of love that we are to show to others. Years later, after Jesus said those words, that we're to love others as he has loved us, one of his closest disciples, who not only heard Jesus talk about that courageous kind of love, but who also was standing at the foot of the cross when he saw Jesus not just talk about courageous love, but show and display courageous love. That apostle, the apostle John, wrote a letter. And in this letter, that man who heard Jesus say, you love like me, and then saw Jesus hanging on the cross, loving us at the cost of his own life, John wrote this. He said, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, John writes, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I want to keep reading what John wrote. This is a big deal to John who heard Jesus say, love like me and saw Jesus love through his death on the cross. John goes on and he says, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. That's why I can say with confidence that courageous love is a mark of someone who is walking by faith. He says, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. There's the power to be able to love. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God 
is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. I mean, can you say the word love any more than John is saying it? By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence of the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Catch this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he, um, excuse me, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We just let those words sink into us today. Church, we are commanded to love. We are called to love. We have been given the privilege to love. We have been given the power to love. And we have been saved by Jesus to love. And it's not, this is the point here, it's not a cheap love. It's not a cheap love which we've been commanded to show. It's not an easy love, which we've been called to show. It's not a, a warm and fuzzy feelings kind of love, which we have the privilege and the power to show to one another. It's a courageous love where we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for the good of another. That's the kind of love that God has saved us to show. And this courageous love is a mark of the life of faith, a life that has been transformed by God's grace through faith in Jesus, a life that's daily, daily surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's a life that is only going to take place when we live daily at the foot of the cross, looking at what John looked at as he was thinking about in his mind as he wrote those words, all those words about love. And he was seeing Christ upon the cross. And we have... God's word where we can see Christ upon the cross and see that great love with which he has loved us. So I just want to ask you for a second. How's your love life? How's your love life? Now I don't mean the, the mushy gushy. He likes me. She, she likes me kind of love. Okay. That has its place. That has its place. But how's your courageous love like Abraham, like Jesus life? Loving the undeserving. Loving when it's hard or dangerous or costly. Loving those who seem to have turned their back on you. Loving with action, not just with intention. J.C. Ryle said, the devil cares not how great our intentions are as long as they are fixed for tomorrow. Well, we can intend to love well, but friends, what, what are we acting upon? Are we putting that love into action Loving by going out of our way, interrupting our schedule, spending our resources for another kind of love. That's the kind of love that Abram displays as he lives this life of faith. And church, that's the life that we will live when we live a life of faith. It is a courageous love. But the question is how? The question is how? How can we live a life of God-approved, God-honoring, courageous love? Now remember, made a big deal about this at the beginning of the message. We want to see here an example for us to follow, but we can't only see an example for us to follow. Yes, we want to have this courageous love like Abram shows, and he goes to war to rescue Lot, his nephew, even though he doesn't seem to deserve it. But we also want to see not just a great example, but we must see our great need for Jesus. 
Church, only Jesus, second truth I want to share with you, only Jesus meets our need for a rescuing warrior with the power to defeat our enemy and the love to move him to action. That's what we need. We need a rescuing warrior with the power to defeat our enemy and the love that would move him to act on that. You've got to have both. The power to win and the love to go to battle. And we need that. We need that rescuing warrior in our lives. And it's Jesus who meets that need. How can we live a life of courageous love that brings honor and glory to God? It is only through Jesus. And maybe you're picking up on this. So wait a second, Zach. Are, are you starting to put us in Lot's place and not in Abram's place? Yeah, it's exactly what I'm doing. You see, it's really easy and tempting for us to read this story and see ourselves not quite as good as Abram. Like we don't want to be so arrogant and be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's me. I would just run off to battle and do that. But, but we see ourselves, I'm not quite that loving. So, yeah, there's some room for improvement. And so I'm going to look at Abram's life and go, all right, I'm, I can do a little better in, in my love. I've got the potential to be like Abram. Um, and so I'm going to walk away, away from this passage just saying, all right, this week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love, love a little better. I'm going to love a little more like Abram loved. The problem is we give ourselves way too much credit when we just see ourselves as Abram in this story. Or as just a little less than Abram with a little bit to learn. You see, I think it's actually healthy for us to see ourselves as a lot in this story as well. Friends, in reality, we're way more like Lot than we like to admit. Where is Lot in this story? He has gone astray, living in the midst of sinners, and has now found himself in captivity. Friends, that's our story. That's our story. That's your story, and that's my story. Having gone astray, having chosen sin over obedience, and having found ourselves held captive by sin. You see, we are the captives in need of rescuing. We, like Lot, have gone astray. We have chosen to step outside of God's realm of blessing. Just like Lot did, just like his and our parents, Adam and Eve, did when they stepped outside of God's blessing there in the Garden of Eden. We are the captives in need of rescuing. The overarching message of God's word is that we are all born into captivity and we all choose to remain there. We are born sinners and we choose to sin. We're sinners by nature, Scripture tells us, and we're sinners by choice. And sin has such a hold on us that over and over and over the Bible states verbatim, just word for word, and tells us through illustrations that we are enslaved to our sin. Consider the book of Exodus, God's deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt. That, that became an illustration for the human heart, that we are enslaved and our only hope is that God would rescue us. This divine and incredible and powerful rescue, wiping out our enemy as he wiped out the army of Egypt in the Red Sea, that he would wipe out our enemy and rescue us from our sin. Or consider the words of God through the Apostle Paul in Romans 6. He said, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And friend, in just in case we're too arrogant to admit that we've chosen to be obedient to sin, Rather than to righteousness, let the word of God 
through the Apostle Paul in Romans 5, pierce our hearts. Because there he said, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and, and, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. There we go. By nature and by choice. It spread to us because of our father, Adam. And it says that we all sin. We all chose to sin. By nature and by choice, we are captive to our sin. And the sooner we admit this problem, the sooner we'll be able and ready to receive the rescue. What if Lot had said, oh, when Abram showed up, I'm not I'm not being held captive. I don't have any problems here. That, there would have been no rescue then. But the Bible doesn't give us the details, but I can only imagine that Lot, seeing his great need for rescue, was overjoyed when he saw Abram march into that camp and say, I'm taking you back. I'm taking you back. We must admit this problem. It's the bad news for us. We, like Lot, have gone astray. We, like Lot, are in need of rescue. But listen, it's worse than Lot. It's way worse than Lot. Our, our situation, our condition. See, we don't just need rescuing from an alliance of four earthly kings. We need rescuing from the clutches of Satan himself. We need rescuing from the clutches of our sin, sick, dead in sin hearts. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's talking about Satan, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh as our choices, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature. Now we're back to it's an inherited nature. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature and by choice, we are doomed. Left to ourselves, we are in great need of rescue. We are captives to sin, and there is absolutely nothing that we can do to free ourselves. We're helpless, like Lot, bound to suffer the consequences of our foolish, sinful choices. Unless, unless there is someone who has the power to defeat our enemy and the love to move him to action. And friends, that's the good news. That's what we call the gospel. The good news. There is that someone. And his name is Jesus. Because as the Bible tells us, he will save his people from their sin. That's what the name Jesus means. The one who saves. The rescuer. Our captor, captor may be Satan himself. Our situation may be far more dire than that of Lot. But friends, we have a rescuer who's way better than Abram. <laughs> He's way greater than Abram. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And God would make good on his promise to Abram. Abram would have many, many descendants. And one of those descendants would show the most courageous love the world has ever known. He would hear of our captivity. He would leave his home and safety in heaven. And he would enter our world. And he would go to the cross. And he would launch an attack on our enemy Satan, that ancient serpent. And his, Jesus, our rescuer's heel would be struck as he bled and as he died upon the cross. But he wouldn't stay there because his power over the enemy would be displayed in the most amazing way as he rose up from the grave, crushing the head of that deceitful, cursed serpent, our enemy. Friend, this story of Abram and Lot is a story of battle and victory over the enemy. 
which I love, but it prepares our hearts for an even greater battle against a greater enemy in a greater victory because this greater story centers upon a greater warrior rescuer whose name is Jesus. Listen, Abram looks like the hero we long for, but God has provided a better hero than Abram, and his name is Jesus. And he is our rescuer. He's come and he's provided rescue for people enslaved in sin. Jesus has come. He has chased down our enemy for us. You know, Lot doesn't do anything in this story except get, get taken captive and then get rescued. That's all Lot does. Abram, Abram's the one who does, does the rescuing. And that's what Christ has done for us. He didn't come and say, oh, if you'll do this, if you'll help me out, then I'll see what I can do. He just, he just marches into this world and into our lives and conquers our enemy by going to death, death on a cross. Even while we were sinners, Paul says to the Romans, Christ died for us. Even when we were enslaved to our sin, Christ died for us. Abram definitely inconvenienced himself for a lot. He showed courageous love, but Jesus paid the ultimate price. He showed the most courageous love the world has ever known. He, he endured the wrath of God on our behalf. The wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus to rescue you and me from our sin, to free us from our sin. The cross is the most display, amazing display of courageous love the world has ever known. And Jesus, he went to the battle for us. Hear the words of Paul to the Colossians of the result of this battle. I love this. We think, about, we think about this battle and Jesus being the victor. I love the words of Paul to the Colossians. This is what he said Jesus did. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Think about that as loosening the chains to our sin, okay, that had us enslaved. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us had us chained down with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, uh, this is battle language, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And so Paul could write to the Romans, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who's going to do it? Who, who's going to take us back captive? You know how Paul answers that? Nobody. Nothing. Nothing in all the world. Because we are more than conquerors. Because we're strong and mighty? No. Through Him who loved us. Courageous love resulting in a victory that results in our victory. Our conquering of sin because of Jesus. Friends, like Lot, we have gone astray. But as the prophet Isaiah said, the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus freed us from our captivity to sin. He secured our victory. Church, only Jesus meets our need for a rescuing warrior who has the power to defeat our enemy. And the love to move him to action. To put him on a cross. For you and for me. Can I ask you a very important question? For every one of us. Have you been set free from your sin? By nature and by choice. We all. Are enslaved to our sin. There's no exceptions. But we don't have to stay. Enslaved to our sin. 
Have you been set free? Have you looked to Jesus as your rescuing warrior? Who went to battle against Satan for you and laid down his life to pay the price for your sin and then rose up from the grave destroying your enemy, your greatest enemy, and securing for everyone who would believe in Jesus your eternal, secure salvation. Have you trusted in Christ? Have you believed in what Christ has done for you? It's by His grace, which means it's a free gift. You don't have to do anything to, to, to earn it. You definitely don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You just have to receive it by trusting in Christ. Have you been set free from your sin by trusting in Jesus Christ? If you, if you haven't, then you need, to, you need to confess your sin to God. You need to confess to Him that you are like Lot. You have been taken captive by sin. And you need Him to rescue you. And that you believe that Jesus has done all the work that's necessary through His death and resurrection. You confess that to the Lord and you call out to Him. You say, God, save me because of what Jesus did. And He will save you. He will rescue you forever. And if you have trusted in Christ, if you have been set free from your sin, then brothers and sisters in Christ, are you, am I, are we living with the kind of courageous love that Abram showed and that Jesus showed even better? Are we imitating this kind of love in our lives? Are we going with the good news of Jesus in love to hard to reach places on our planet? Are we going with the good news of the gospel in love to hard to reach people? Maybe across the world, maybe across the street, maybe that live in our own home. Are we sacrificing out of love for others so that they too can be rescued from their sin? Are we going out of our way to bring others back to the Lord? Listen, that's, that's the life of faith. A life of faith is marked by courageous love. We'll never be able to show that courageous love if Jesus hasn't changed our hearts as we placed our faith in Him. But as soon as He does that, then we too can show the same kind of courageous love. Not only that Abram showed, but the Jesus, our Savior, show. So what will it be? Will our lives be marked by this kind of courageous love? I hope that mine will be. I pray to God that mine will be. And I hope that yours will be as well. Would you pray with me? Father, help us. Help us to see a, an incredible example of courageous love in this passage of Scripture. Lord, what great love Abram had for his nephew Lot. It really doesn't seem that Lot deserved for Abram to love him, but Abram loved him anyway. And he put himself in harm's way to show that love, to put that love into action and to bring rescue. Oh, but God, thank you that it's not just a story about Abram rescuing Lot, but your, your word is about you rescuing us. God, we thank you for Jesus our great rescuing warrior who defeated the enemy on our behalf. And so God, we, we depend upon Christ for our own rescue. And Lord, as you rescue us from our sin, then we want to live 
marked by that kind of courageous love. All for the glory of Jesus. God, would you help us? Would you help us? Not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to worship the Lord again through song and respond back to the Lord, giving Him praise for His word that we've just heard. If you need to talk to somebody about trusting in Christ for salvation, there are a lot of people here that would love to share the love of Jesus with you. And I would as well. So after we have stood and sung songs of response, of praise to the Lord, and the service is closed, you find a Christian friend who is here, or you find me, as soon as the service is over, we'll help you know and answer maybe some questions you have about what it means to follow Christ. Church family, let's respond and worship. God's word leads us to worship. And let's respond in that way right now.